Welcome to Up in the Sky, aviation and travel podcast. Stay tuned for up-to-date aviation and travel news, followed by this week's topic of discussion. Now here's your host, Ebony J. everyone and welcome to episode 13 of Up in the Sky Aviation and Travel Podcast. So I hope you're all having a great week. I had a pretty good weekend in Brighton, was really bad weather though. So I went down on the Friday and was going to go to the seafront but it was just, I don't know, I got halfway down there and people just sort of being blown away and you just couldn't really walk without like just trying to go against the wind which just wasn't really great but I went to the museum and also the art gallery and I actually really enjoyed it I learned quite a lot about Brighton's past and how it became to be the sort of LGBTQ sort of place within England and they also had a really interesting exhibit on David Bowie and it sort of showed really rare photos and memories of him so this is from 1973 to 1976 and this was told by his friend Jeff who was his school friend and went round the world with David Barry touring with him and it was just really interesting to see and I never knew about David Bowie I don't know if it's Bowie or Bowie I think it's Bowie yeah but I never knew I really like his songs my favorite ones are probably uh, Starman, Life on Mars and definitely Heroes, I really like that song but his friend Jeff was actually saying that David was actually scared of flying so they had to book boats and trains all around the world just to get to different venues so it's really interesting to see sort of their journey around the world so that if you're ever in Brighton go and check it out, I think it's only about mm, four or five pounds the exhibit and then it's six pounds to get into the museum but it was really interesting but that is available. I think the exhibits on David is available till about January 2022. So if you want to check it out, go ahead. I really liked it. Then on the Saturday, I went up to the British Airways i360. I really enjoyed it. It was sort of like going on a British Airways flight. So you enter the pod and they were playing that music that you hear when you sort of go onto a BA flight. And all the staff were actually wearing sort of like cabin crew British Airways uniform. So you get into the pod and there's sort of a bar and there's places you can sit and you can also stand up as well. Then the pod ascends up the tower to about, I think, 430 to 450 feet, which was really, really high. Even I was scared. Like, I looked up and I was like, whoa, that is really high. And you stay there for about five, ten minutes and you can get all the views. The views when I went wasn't really that good because it was actually just pouring down with rain and the rain was coming all over the pod and it wasn't very good views but it was a really good experience and after that you descend down slowly and then there's a gift shop at the end i was hoping there was going to be some british airways like memorabilia or some gifts but unfortunately there wasn't but that's fine it was somewhere different to go and i had a good time but before i keep going on let's just head into the most recent aviation and travel news for this week So 
first up this week and there's been some disputes between two European airlines and these are Ryanair and Croatian Airlines. So low-cost carrier Ryanair announced that they will open bases within Zagreb, Croatian's capital, and also Zadar this summer within Croatia. But this has received quite a few complaints from Croatia Airlines who believes that Ryanair is sort of getting that preferential treatment as a more well-known airline and not they're not sure why they were easily able to get a base within the Croatian capital. However, Jason McGuinness, who's Ryanair's chief commercial officer, defended Ryanair when he said that it was really inappropriate for them to complain about Ryanair after receiving millions of euros in funds and said that Croatia Airlines have not re- achieved their growth and profit in the past four years and Ryanair will actually be bringing in 14 new routes to Zagreb this year whilst Croatia has only brought in three new routes over the past four years and McGuinness actually bluntly just said we think Croatia Airlines should really do their homework again before complaining and this has actually come to a point that Ryanair recently submitted an appeal to the EU General Court against the European Commission decision last December to approve 11.7 million euros in state aid to Croatia Airlines as this was aimed to compensate the airline for their losses due to the coronavirus outbreak. However, because of Ryanair's appeal, cash repayments have been suspended until further rulings are made by the European Commission. And McGuinness actually added on this, saying that Ryanair is the strongest airline company in Europe and they don't get any help from state funds, as like other carriers do, which include Croatia and also I think Alitalia are getting quite a lot of help at the moment. And he said that Ryanair don't receive assistance and they have actually the strongest balance sheets in Europe and the only European carrier to achieve growth in air traffic over the several years. They're showing off a bit here I think (laughs) but in my opinion I I just don't think the two airlines should be disputing over this. I think with COVID-19 the airlines should sort of be supporting each other and helping each other one another to get by. And I understand Croatia Airlines point that Ryanair would be taking over Zagreb which is their capital and Croatian Airlines are the flag carrier. But to be honest, Ryanair will be helping the airport and also the destination by bringing a lot more tourists in. But I definitely don't think that Ryanair should be appealing the decision for the government to give Croatia Airlines aid. It doesn't, to be honest, it doesn't really have nothing to do with them. It's none of their business, really. But let me know what you think on my Instagram page. Do you side with Croatia Airlines on their opinion that Ryanair is taking over their sort of land? Or do you agree with Ryanair that all these airlines shouldn't be getting funds as Ryanair are doing so well at the moment? So let me know what you think. So some news from Heathrow Airport now, and they have also faced some criticism this week. And it was found out that passengers that were arriving from red list destinations to Heathrow Airport were seen to be queuing with regular passengers to get through border control and access their luggage. So from these negative reviews from passengers' experience and the safety risks, Heathrow has now decided that they were going to, are going to, they're going to turn one of their terminals to be solely dedicated to passengers arriving from those red list countries. So this will come into effect on June 1st, so that's next Tuesday, and red list passengers will pass through Terminal 3 of Heathrow, which has actually been closed for the past year due to COVID and the low passenger numbers. 
So from Terminal 3, these passengers will then be transported to a hotel where they will need to isolate for the next 10 days. And a representative of Heathrow Airport said that their hope is that they will enable Border Force to carry out its duties more efficiently as passengers' volumes are looking to increase with the countries being added to the green list. And also added that the arrival terminal for those landing from countries on the red list would eventually be moved to Terminal 4 and that the arrangement was likely to be put in place for some time. And he also added that they're doing quite a lot of work, to be honest, <laughs> that they're adapting Heathrow to this longer term sort of reality by initially opening dedicated arrivals facilities in Terminal 3. So this is from their statement from June 1st for red list passengers arriving on direct Heathrow flights. So I, to be honest, I do think that it's right that they need to do this because it is really it was really concerning the past few weeks that they were letting passengers mix with those from red list destinations which really may scare people from traveling within the future and sort of really worry them that they might catch covid or something so i definitely think that opening up terminal 3 to those red list passengers would be for the best and also it would be a a quick process so it will get passengers through border control and also getting their luggage quite quickly and also quickly for passengers on the amber and green list as well i know if i went to say i took a trip to portugal or something can i arrive back at heathrow i wouldn't really be a fan of standing next to people that had been to india or other red list countries like brazil where you know that the variants are strong and they're really transmissible so I think they've done the right thing, but I think they, I know it does take, it might take quite a while to sort of reopen up Terminal 3 again and get everything sorted. But I think they should have done that in the first place, but also try and get it done more quickly. But I think June 1st is a good date. So we'll just see what happens next week when Terminal 3 does open. So over to America now and some really positive news for Alaska Airlines and they announced this week that they are really benefiting from domestic travel and leisure travel bookings within the US and they're rocking, rocketing up to levels that it was before the pandemic. So CEO of Alaska Airlines, Ben, I'm going to try and say this surname, I'm really sorry, Minisuki, let's just say it like that, told NBC News that levels of leisure bookings are really strong at the moment and uh, almost at pre like we said pre-pandemic levels ben also added that with the pace of vaccinations increasing within the us they saw a significant step change in march and achieved positive operating cash flow also in march after 12 months of burning cash because of the pandemic and he said things are really looking optimistic for the airline so simple flying stated in an article that a year ago alaska, alaska airlines were operating less than 200 flights a day but as of now they are now operating over a thousand flights a day which is a really big improvement and is above the levels they actually were in may 2019 so that was way before we knew the pandemic was going to happen which is really amazing to see However, we did have some other news from Alaska Airlines this weekend and on Friday morning when Alaska Airlines flight 2256 and that was from Pasco to Seattle had to make 
<coughs> had to make an emergency landing after a member of cabin crew reported that there were sparks flying from the galley. So the aircraft was a Havilland Bombardier-8 and it took off from Pasco at around 9.41am and made an emergency landing in Yakima at 10.39am. So passengers started boarding a new aircraft that left Yakima at 1.50pm, so about three hours later, and landed in Seattle at 2.30pm. So they had about two, two and a half, three hour delays from its original scheduled time. Alaska Airlines have said in a news release that there was no fire or smoke and there were actually no injuries and all passengers deplaned at the airport and got onto another aircraft. And they said it was actually unclear to see how many passengers were on board. And they also said that their maintenance team were looking closer to see what happens. But it's very strange that they reported sparks and this whole emergency landing had to happen. Also that they didn't know how many people were on the aircraft. But I think that's just news coming in quite slowly. But it's weird that someone reported smoke and then they were like, and then they investigated it and they were like, oh, there's no fire or smoke. But we'll see what happens. I'll have another look into it within the next few weeks and see if there were any updates, if smoke was actually coming out or if it was just false information. So I'll let you know more if I get the updates. And finally, some unusual news this week, and we're going to space tourism now. And it was announced that on Saturday, space company Virgin Galactic completed a successful trip into space, bringing optimism to the company to sort of bring tourism into space. So the Financial Times stated Virgin Galactic's VSS Unity reached an altitude of 89.2 kilometres before returning two pilots to a runway in New Mexico. So Richard Branson, CEO of the Virgin Group, stated that the great thing about this flight was that as it just went predicted as on paper, so it just went all to plan, and that new automated system used to augment the pilot's control worked absolutely perfectly. So the spaceship went straight up without basically any deviations, which is really good to hear. So this weekend's launch had originally been scheduled for December, but the company cancelled the flight last minute following a issue with the electromagnetic interference. And Virgin Galactic actually plans to complete three more test flights before it opens to the public next year, putting it behind competitor Blue Origin in the space to launch civilians into space. So Sir Richard Branson expected is expected to take part in the second of the upcoming launches, which just a chance to get into space is, must be really weird. But... Richard Branson is a very wealthy man. <laughs> so Virgin Galactic's test flight went past the US standard of space boundary and their competitor SpaceX actually became the first private company to take humans into orbit last year. But a spokesperson has said that Virgin Galactic has received $85 million in deposits after selling tickets at a starting price of £200,000 for reservations on on future flights. That's very expensive, but it's just crazy to think that people are working on getting people like us to fly out into space for tourism. What an experience that would be. Like, I know it wouldn't be available for a while when, it, like we said, £200,000. It's just way expensive. But the fact that people may be able to go on holiday in space, uh, it's just really, it's just just blows your mind doesn't it it's just really shocking it's just crazy to think and it's great to see that virgin galactic are 
that one step closer to achieving it. So that concludes the news for this week and some interesting stories actually. So let's head on to our topic of discussion. to our topic of discussion this week and this week we are talking about the three main airports within New York so giving you the basic information and everything you need to know so we'll start off with John F. John F. Kennedy Airport with the code name JFK simple and it was named after the 35th president of the US however the airport which was open I think 70 years two years ago and that was back in 1948 well, 73 years ago, but yeah, <laughs> was called actually something different and went by the name of Idlewild Airport after it took over from the Idlewild Beach Golf Course. So the airport was built two years after after the opening of LaGuardia Airport, which we will discuss in a few minutes. And that's because LaGuardia actually became too overcrowded and needed another airport to sort of take some of the passengers with $60 million being put towards the project. So today the airport took over LaGuardia's traffic and is the busiest international gateway into North America and also the 20th busiest airport within the world. And is that is because it is handling over 62.9 million passengers and that was within 2019 and that was just before the pandemic. So all these numbers will be probably before before 2020, like with the London airports because of COVID, that just put the levels down. So in 2019, they had 62.9 million passengers and just over 356,000 aircraft movements within the same year. And that was from over 90 airlines, which include British Airways, Kenya Airways, JetBlue, Virgin and Emirates. However, JFK is currently the hub city airport for both Delta and American Airlines and is also a focus city for JetBlue. So the top domestic destinations flown from JFK is Los Angeles and Fort Lauderdale within Florida, whilst the top international destinations for passengers I think uh, yeah, the top one was London Heathrow, the second was Paris Charles de Gaulle and the third was Mexico City. So compared to UK airports, JFK seems just just seems to be massive with six terminals although they are numbered one to eight terminal three was taken down in 2013 and terminal six was taken down in 2011 so we just have to miss those ones out so terminal one opened i think it was let me see I'm not sure what year it opened, but Terminal 2 was open to serve members of the One World team and the Sky team and holds airlines such as Lufthansa, Air France, Japan Airlines and Korea Airlines and holds 11 gates in total. I'm not sure why I didn't put the year it was open, I swear I wrote that down. But Terminal 2 was opened in 1962 and was the base for Northeast Airlines and also Northwest Airlines. However, after the loss of both of these airlines, it was taken over by Pan Am, which we all know what happened to Pan Am, sadly ceased. So the terminal can only take domestic flights at the moment as they don't have any border control so they don't check passports or anything that's why all domestic flights go to terminal 2 however the terminal is not being used at the moment due to the low passenger numbers and last month there was plans 
that came through to demolish Terminal 2 and to hopefully extend Terminal 1 and 4 into the area and that plans to get started I think within the next year. So Terminal 4 was opened in early 2001 and has 38 gates in total. So the terminal is main hub for Delta, but also is home to some of its Sky Team partners, including China Airlines, Air India and Swissair, along with some other non-alliance members, including JetBlue, Emirates and Etihad. So the terminal was extended back in 2013 and, like I said, is set to be expanded within the coming year. So then on to Terminal 5, so this was opened in 2008 as a hub for JetBlue but also is being used by Hawaiian Airlines, Aer Lingus and TAP Portugal Airlines and has 29 gates in total and also two lounges so one is owned by Airspace and the other owned by Aer Lingus. Then Terminal 7 was opened in 1970 to be used by British Airways and Air Canada along with some of its other One World members including Iberia and Alaska Airlines along with other non-alliance members that include Eurowings, Icelandair and Ukrainian Airlines. And in 2020 United Airlines actually announced that they would return to JFK and start flying in and out of Terminal 7. Then finally, Terminal 8, and this is a major hub for the One World Alliance, with American Airlines flying in and out of there since its opening within 2007. And it's actually become the busiest terminal within the airport, with other airlines flying from there, including Finnair, Qantas and Cafe Pacific, with 29, I think, gates in total. So altogether, the airport spans over 5,200 acres, and has a total of four runways and 25 miles worth of taxiways. So JFK is located within the neighbourhood of Queens, which is 16 miles southeast of Midtown Southampton. I was going to say Southampton then. 16 miles southeast of Midtown Manhattan and is connected to the New York subway and the Long Island Railroad by their dedicated air track JFK stopping off at all terminals, all hotel shuttles and also the parking lots. So you can also reach the airport by bus so you can get the bus from the airport to connect to the subways so if you use the subway to the airport the bus transfer is free of charge. That sounds confusing. So basically, if you use the subway to try and get to the airport, you get the bus transfer for free, basically. <laughs> so the airport is located from the Belt Parkway, the Grand Central Parkway and Queen's Boulevard. So if you get on one of those stations, you can easily... Station, so I'm getting myself all muddled up. If you go by one of those roads, you can easily get connected to the airport. So a ring road connects the airport terminals to the Belt Parkway and also the Van Wyck Park Expressway with 17,000 car parking spaces available within the complex of the airport. And if you do want to get into one of those famous yellow taxis that I just see on films all the time, I wish that would happen. All yellow taxis have a flat fare of $52 to get from JFK to Midtown Manhattan. So that's all you need to know about JFK. It's quite a busy airport, not as busy as Heathrow, but in the terms of the US, it is quite busy. But I would love to fly there one day. I just want to go to New York. I think within the next few weeks, I'll do a New York travel guide, even though I've never been. But, you know, that sounds fun.
So next up is LaGuardia Airport with the code LGA. So this airport was opened in 19... I was going to say 69 then. In 1939 on the 2nd of December where the 550-acre $23 million pound... 23, $23 million pound? What's that? $23 million area was used to be owned by the Gala Amusement Park and was put in place by the mayor Fiorella LaGuardia you know why the the name came now was put in place by the mayor at the time after he commented on how New York at that time only had one airport which was Newark and in time it did have JFK come in so in present time within 2019 the airport had over 31 million passengers and over 179 air thousand aircraft movements with this and this makes LaGuardia the third busiest airport within New York and also the 20th busiest airport within the US. So the airport is a hub for both American Airlines and Delta Airlines with other airlines flying from LaGuardia which include Air Canada, Frontier, JetBlue and Spirit, Spirit, Spirit <laughs> with Delta carrying 25% of the airport's market share. So you can see that this is sort of a more domestic airport compared to Newark and JFK. So top destinations to travel to from LaGuardia are Atlanta in Georgia, also Fort Lauderdale in Florida and Miami within Florida. So you can tell, like I said, that it's a domestic kind of airport. So in total, LaGuardia has four terminals. So these are named after the alphabet, A, B, C and D, with 86 gates altogether. So Terminal A was opened up in 1942 and used to be used for international flights, especially for Pan Am. But in current times, this is used by JetBlue until recently Spirit Airlines joined the terminal for its really popular Fort Lauderdale flights. So Terminal B is the busiest airport terminal with American Airlines dominating flights from there from the terminal and that was open in 1964 and has 40 gates available so nearly enough half of the gates in the airport is in terminal B with the terminal being rebuilt to have a west and east concourse hopefully within the future. Then terminal C was opened in 1992 and cost the government about 250 million dollars with it being the hub for Delta along with terminal D as well. So this airport was originally going to this airport this terminal was originally going to be taken by Eastern Airlines but they ended up being merged with Continental Airlines who we know sadly ceased. Then finally Terminal D and that opened back in 1983 costing 90 million dollars to accommodate Delta's new 767 and 757s back back in the day. <laughs> they hardly do exist anymore do they? And this is another hub terminal for Delta along with Terminal D like I said. So along with this the airport has two runways and also like I said with JFK this is also located in the Queens neighbourhood and LaGuardia is in the East Elmhurst part. So unfortunately the airport is not accessible by the subway but in 2019 a AirTran LGA train so we have the AirTran JFK, AirTran Newark, but they're looking to plan a AirTran LGA plane and hopefully this train would plan to go through Grand Central Parkway and head into Willits Point to connect with the subway 
and this was sort of planned and announced in 2019 and in 2018 there was I'm getting mixed up with all my years now and also in 2019 there was announced that the construction of this train line was going to be completed by 2022 so next year However, there are special bus routes that you can get to the airport and this is run by select bus service rapid lines connected the airport to the subway and railroad, especially the M60 service that stops at all terminals. And if you do want to take the taxi, there isn't a flat fare like JFK, but the fare ranges around $40 to $70 for a taxi. Or if you want to go all out with a special limousine, that's about $150 for that type of transport if you do want to travel in style i know i wouldn't because i'm really tight with my money but it's there if you need it <laughs> so you can see that laguardia is the smaller more domestic airport so i doubt i would fly to and from laguardia unless i was doing like this all america road trip or flying to different destinations with them in america but i don't think i'll probably use that airport and finally, we head to the oldest of the three airports, and that's Newark Airport with the code of EWR. So this was open 92 years ago in, so the oldest airport, in 1928 on 90 acres of, 98 acres of land running by the Passive River. So a decade or more after opening, the airport was closed for commercial aviation and was taken over by the US Army during World War II and was shortly reopened in February 1946 for passengers. So there was a name change for the airport in 2002 from Newark International Airport to Newark Liberty International Airport to pay tribute to those that lost their lives within the 9-11 attacks as one of the flights, Flight 93, actually departed from Newark Airport heading to San Francisco Airport but sadly I'm afraid the flight didn't make it as we all know. And it was also paid in tribute for the Statue of Liberty, which is situated 70, 70 miles, that's a bit far, seven miles from the airport. So in present time, the airport has three terminals and 121 gates altogether. So Terminal A was opened in 1973 with four levels and handles mainly domestic and Canadian flights. And Terminal is home to Air Canada, JetBlue and America Airlines and also Alaska Airlines. So in 2016, it was announced that there were plans to develop Terminal A and renovate it to be called Terminal 1 to include six levels of parking, 33 gates and four levels, costing around 2.7 billion to renovate. And they are expected to finish their first two phases, hopefully by late 21, going into early 22 with the whole renovation and renaming of Terminal 1 being completed hopefully by 2024 which is three years yeah three years time so Terminal B was opened in 1973 and handles most of the international airlines being home to Delta which I know is domestic but also home to Iceland Air, Aer Lingus and British Airways so in 2008 Terminal B had a renovation to improve passenger comfort updating their ticket halls and also their departure lounges and in 2014 Terminal B also introduced their Terminal LED fixtures so this was sort of a software that could identify to staff if there were any long queues or actually any suspicious activities throughout the airport and could also recognize number plates which is quite a cool software if you think about it 
Then on to Terminal C, and this was built a little bit later in 1988, being exclusively built for United Airlines as their global hub. And from 1998 to 2003, the terminal was took down and rebuilt as part of the Continental Global Gateway project to expand the space within arrivals and also build a new international concourse. So most recently, well, seven years ago, in 2014, it's crazy to think that 2014 was seven years ago, there was an, an announcement that 120 million dollars would be put into renovating terminal c again installing 6,000 ipads and building 55 new restaurants at current time back in 2019 so two years ago uh the airport had i just had a coughing fit i just had to stop recording for a moment back in 2019 the airport had over 46 million passengers with 446 aircraft movements so just coming in second to jfk however their aircraft movements are actually more than JFK's was in 2019, which is actually quite strange. But airlines flying from the airport include, like I said, British Airways, Delta, Aer Lingus, Emirates, United with their hub base, and also Ethiopian Airlines. And just note that some of these international airlines are not flying at the moment due to COVID, but hopefully they will do within the future. And in 2019, the busiest domestic route was to Orlando, Florida, whilst the busiest international route was to London Heathrow. I bet the domestic route was for probably Disney World and Universal. I don't know, when I think of Orlando, it's just Universal, Disney World, probably just like everybody else. So you probably might have guessed with United having a sort of global hub within Newark. United Airlines actually take 45% of the flights in and out of the airport, so they have the most market share. So this airport is located about 14 miles from Midtown Manhattan, and that is with the airport being connected by road by the Route 1 slash 9, which connects to Route 81 and Interstate 78. Now, I don't know how to pronounce these roads, because, like the routes and rows, because I, I'm just not sure about the roads in the US. Like In the UK, we have the M25, the A41 and all this. I just don't get these routes and interstates. But there you go. <laughs> you can access the airport quite e easily from Route 81 and also Interstate 78. But a journey to the airport from the airport to midtown manhattan will cost you about 80 dollars by taxi which is actually quite a lot and there is a cheaper option to use to travel around which is the trains so they have the air train newark which serves its own station of newark international airport station that was long to say and this takes you where does it take you it takes you through to the new jersey corridor line and also the east coast east upper east coach <laughs> i'm not sure what i was saying there the east coastline connecting you to regional hubs such as new york penn station and also newark penn station and also amtrak's northeast regional and keystone service trains also depart and stop from at newark airport but there is also future plans to sort of make traveling more easier to newark to add in the Port Authority Trans Hudson system line to Newark and that will hopefully be by 2026 and that's costing about 1.7 billion dollars and on top of that Airtran Newark is looking to renovate their line to be finished by 2024 I think costing just 
over, let me have a look, it was around something billion. Yeah, around two billion pounds. And then just to add on to my notes, because I didn't add it, but I didn't add this about Newark, but I added it about the other two airports. Newark actually has three runways, yeah, three runways, I think. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so Newark is probably the second busiest airport within New York, just coming below, like I said, JFK. And the airport covers 2,000 acres, which is quite a large area for an airport, having three runways and also a helipad as well, which is quite interesting to see. But that concludes everything you need to know about New York and, well, not New York, about their airports. So that was all about JFK, LaGuardia and Newark Airport. I haven't actually visited, like I said, New York myself. I would love to. So I'd love to go and see the Empire State Building, the typical touristy things, the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty. I'd love to go and see the memorial for 9-11. That would be really good to see. And also just experience the shopping, the subways, and also maybe go and see a Broadway show. Definitely come from away. That's one of my favourites. I've seen it in West End and, oh, it was amazing. But hopefully if I do fly to JFK, up, um, if JFK, if I do fly to New York, it will probably be to JFK. And maybe, maybe I'll think about Newark, Newark. Maybe I could do a trip where I fly to JFK but fly out of Newark. But I'd love to see how easy it is to get to and from the airports and how different the services within these airports are compared to the UK, which I'm actually really so used to at the moment. So that concludes the episode for this week. It was actually really interesting and great to be looking into airports within different countries that I haven't actually visited before. But I will definitely be looking into other airports around the world within future episodes. So next week I will be giving you also again the most recent aviation and travel news along with the topic of discussion. There has been some important news with Ryanair this week so I'd love to discuss that about their banning in Belarus because a they had to do an emergency landing but I'll go more into that. I'll do some more research but I'll talk about that with you next week. And next week I will also be giving you as the topic of discussion a travel guide into my home city of London and that's giving you the ins and outs of all the attractions, the hotels, how to travel around, how to get here from different countries, going into the London airports again and just secret places that you that would be great to sort of talk about and would be great for you to visit maybe one day so you'll probably hear that i'll be going on and on and on next episode because i've been to london quite a few times i live just about 45 minutes away from london so and my local town's connected to the london underground so i go there quite often so i look forward to giving you all the info on that next week so to end this podcast episode I'm Ebony, this is Up in the Sky, and I hope you'll have a great week, and hopefully see you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Up in the Sky. New episodes will be posted every Wednesday. Follow at Up in the Sky Aviation Podcast on Instagram for information and updates. Hope you all have a great week.